Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. We're going to jump right in this morning uh, into part three of our series on prayer. Parts three of our series on prayer. The, the series is entitled Pray. Uh, just simply, uh, sometimes the simple things are the easiest things to remember, right? Anyone else have a hard time remembering things sometimes? What was, yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. That was good. Uh, open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 13 and Isaiah chapter 6. Acts 13 and Isaiah 6. Acts 13 and Isaiah 6. Like I said, we're continuing this series on prayer. And uh, I want to give a little quick recap where we're at because we can't jump into this morning if we don't have a good understanding where we're coming from. Um, started talking about prayer and used the analogy or the illustration of a wood-burning stove. In fact, I showed this picture of our stove when we lived in, uh, up in Alaska. Um, this was the wood stove that we used in our home, uh, and it was, it was something that was really crucial in our home. Um, it gets cold in Anchorage. It gets cold in Alaska, as you may well imagine, and heating costs are huge. Like, just really, really high. And so we would put wood in this wood-burning stove, which wood was free. I mentioned how when we first got there, I asked people, where do I go buy wood? And they laughed at me. They said, you live in Alaska now, not in California. You get in your truck, you drive out of town, you find a tree, you cut it down, you bring it back, and, that, and that's how you, you heat your home. Um, it was a little bit beyond me as well. I talked about the fact that you, this wood stove is only effective when there's a fire in it. Otherwise, it's just a big honking piece of metal in the corner of the living room. You have to have a fire in it. And it takes a little while for this, this fireplace, this wood-burning stove, to get up to, to heat. Uh, in fact, it's the, the metal casing on that that gets really hot, and that's what ultimately heats the home. But you have to give it enough time for that fire to be burning. And you can't just throw a big honking log into the thing and then hope that it's going to burn. You have to start with a small fire, put some kindling in there, get a good bed of coals going, and then you start adding the bigger stuff. And then, man, it'll, it'll heat the house for a long time. Our prayer life is exactly the same way. We have to cultivate and stoke a life of prayer. We have to keep... Uh, throwing on the, the kindling and, 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 and getting a good bed of coals in our prayer life so that when the big things come our way, it's not like trying to light a big log with a lighter and then hoping that something will, will, will happen. It might be a lot of smoke, but that log's not going to be consumed. And, and so often we do that to the Lord. We do that with Him. Is that We bring Him the requests of our heart only when it's an emergency, it's the 911 call. And believe me, God loves the 911 call, but he also just wants to have a chat, right? If all we ever did is call people when we were in trouble and when we needed something, man, you'd be using your caller ID going, I'm not sure if I want to answer that call right now, right? Anyone else do that? You, the phone rings and you pick it up and you're like, how much time do I have right now? How much energy, how much do I have to give? We come to the Lord. Now, thankfully, he's eternal and he has everything to give. 
But sometimes he just wants to have a conversation. He wants to be a part of the smaller things in our lives, and we need to align ourselves. So we talked about two different places where that needs to happen, two prayers that we started praying. Uh, and, and, and both of these prayers deal with us internally first. Before we can start praying these prayers where we're like, hey, we're going to pray uh, for those people out there and those people over there and those, that country. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's easier to pray the prayers that deal with other people right? Lord, would you just convict that person of their sin? Lord, would you help that person to have a better attitude? But we don't start here and say, God, would you help me to have a better attitude? Would you convict me of my sin? And so we looked at two prayers that David prayed, two dangerous prayers, not safe prayers, no safe prayers, dangerous prayers. The first was this, God, search me. Search me. It's David's prayer out of Psalm 139. In fact, we'll put that verse on the screen. Search me, God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We talked about how there's things in our heart that we don't even see. God knows my heart. Sometimes I don't know my heart. And God needs to bring revelation. Know my anxious thoughts. What are my fears? Is there anything offensive? Is there sin in my life that needs to be exposed? And then, God, you lead me. A week after that, last Sunday, we talked about this prayer out of Psalm 51. Break me. Even more dangerous than search me. God, break me. What you find in my heart, what you see, what you expose, would you break it? We talked about the remodeling of a home. You can't remodel. You can't put new things in. You can't uh, build new things. You can't have a nice, beautiful new kitchen if you don't first take the old one out. The Bible talks about old, a new wine in, in old wineskins, and God says you, you can't do that. You have to put new wine in new wineskins, and God wants to pour out new wine, the anointing of his Holy Spirit, new ideas and vision and passion in our hearts, but he's saying I can't pour it into a vessel that can't hold what I want to deposit. And so we have to say, God, break me. David writes in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite, which means crushed, a broken and crushed heart, oh God, you will not despise. Search me and break me. We're going to talk about a, a third prayer tonight, or this morning rather, a third prayer that's not actually a prayer that David prayer. We're going to move on to another person in scripture, and we're going to get a lot of examples this morning. But I was thinking about these passages. I'm going to tell you what the prayer is in just a second. But I've been thinking about how this even aligns with the vision of our church. And I didn't intend it to be this way, but I just love how God orchestrates things. Our vision as a church is summed up in four words. The words know, grow, serve, and go. Know, grow, serve, and go. Know me, God, so I can know you. First thing, search me, right? Grow me, God, grow my life. Grow who I am and help cause me to be a person who serves you. There's breaking that has to happen there. And then finally, that last part of it, that fourth word is go, Search me so I can know who I really am. Break me so you can rebuild me the way you want to build me. And then the last prayer is this. Send me. Send me. Send me, God, so I can partner with you 
in reaching the world, in reaching the lost. God, send me. I found in my life and in my ministry that there's an amount of fear that people experience when they pray that prayer. There's a bit of fear that comes in. The fear is this, that God might actually take you up on your offer, right? God, if I say send me, you might actually do it. So it's safer if I just don't pray the prayer. And in this case, ignorance is not bliss. Because there's really a heart issue there, isn't there? God, what are my anxious thoughts? It goes back to search me. Lord, I'm not going to pray this prayer. I'm not going to ask you to send me because you might actually do it. And then what? And then what? God may send me to Africa, right? That's kind of the default. You've heard that. In my case, in Isaac's case, he didn't send us to Africa. He sent us here from Africa. God, you might send me to America, God might take me out of my comfort zone. There's fear in that. God, you're going to ask me to do something that I don't like to do. Am I right? And so I'd just rather not pray the prayer. I'd rather not ask you to send me. But here's the reality. We serve a sending God, not a settling God. We serve a sending God... Not a settling God. God is not in the settling business. And neither should we be. That there's no part of the Christian walk where we just go, hey, I got this figured out. Everything's good. All right, I just get to cruise. (laughs) Because we serve ascending God. The heart, the very nature of God is that he loves to send And he loves to send because he loves people. And he sends because he knows we are in need. He knows that we are broken. So he sends and he sends and he sends. I know this because it's evidenced in Scripture. All throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, we see over and over and over that God is ascending God. God sent Abraham. And by the way, he did tell Abraham, leave your mother, leave your father, leave everything that's familiar, everything that's comfortable, and go somewhere that I will show you later. And so, yes, he will cause things to be stirred up in our lives, and he will cause us to walk out of our comfort zone. But he sent Abraham. He sent Moses. He sent Joshua. He sent Jonah. He sent Esther. He sent Daniel. He sent Gideon. He sent Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, He sent Jeremiah, Isaiah, and by the way, all of the prophets were sent. He sent the disciples, he sent Paul, he sent Timothy, he sent Barnabas, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. That the people that God uses and the people that God chooses are the people that God sends. He sends. He is ascending God. He sent Jesus. Jesus was sent. Do you know that? That Jesus was sent. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. 
Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He has sent me. You'll notice that there's two references up there, Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4. Isaiah prophesied these words about the Messiah, and then Jesus, you'll remember the story in Luke here, he gets up in front of the, in the synagogue, and he takes out the scroll, and he reads this prophecy, and then, he's, then he makes what statement? Today, this word, this prophetic word is fulfilled in your presence. I'm here. See, Isaiah is saying, he's coming, and Jesus said, I'm here, I've been sent. He has sent me. You keep reading in Isaiah chapter 61. It is a great passage because he talks about everything he's going to do. The, the binding up of the brokenhearted, the salvation of sin, the removal of the iniquity, all of these things. And it's a great, great picture of God's love. But we serve a sending God, not a settling God. And we should take note of that because he expects the same. As long as there are people to reach, God will continue sending. As long as there are people to reach, as long as there are lost people who need to hear the gospel, God will continue sending willing, faithful, surrendered servants. Are we ready to go? Are we ready to respond? See, that last part of our vision, no, grow, serve, go can't be an optional thing for too long the church overall has been about hey serve me take care of me hey i want to be comfortable god just minister to me i need to be fed i need my family and those are all things that god wants but it can't end there god says i'm calling you to go i am sending you so Open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 6. I want to look at the life of Isaiah and, and draw some points from an experience that he had in the presence of God. An experience that he had in the presence of God. I want to pray. Father God, this morning as, as we delve into the subject of sending, Lord, we address any fear, any spirit of fear that would want to rise up this morning and, and stand in opposition to your word. God, we recognize that there is nothing that can stand in the light of your word. And so we cast out any fear. Lord, I ask that, that hearts and minds would be receptive to receive this morning uh, all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with, and with two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, 
Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Can you imagine what Isaiah must have felt in that moment? I think sometimes we have this familiarity with God. And thankfully, we, we can draw close, we can be near, that, that because of Jesus' death and resurrection and the, the ripping of that veil that's curtain in two, that we can come close. The Bible says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, which is a blessing. But we have to remember at the same time that he is an awesome God. That he is an awesome God. That he is to be revered. And that there is something about his presence, that in his presence we're undone. Isaiah, standing in this place, he has this vision. And all of a sudden he is in the throne room of God. And there are angels and there are, there, there are choirs lifting their voices. And it's probably bright, shining light. And the throne of God and, and Isaiah is just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. Can you imagine the voice of God just as it went out, everything was shaking. And Isaiah is overwhelmed. Absolutely overwhelmed. There's five points I want to draw from this passage this morning in regards to sending. Because he said, ends with Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. But there's some things that happen before he gets to that point. So as we pray this prayer, send me. As we go to a place where we're ready to say, Lord, I'm willing to risk. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to step out of my fear and whatever preconceived ideas I have, knowing that you've searched my heart, that you're breaking and rebuilding me. I come to this place, Lord, send me. I'm going to ask you to send me. The first is this, sending always starts in the presence of God. Sending always starts in the presence of God. Sending can't be your idea. It always starts in the presence of God. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And it changed everything. When you see Jesus, when you get a glimpse of who God is, it changes everything. If it doesn't, you probably didn't see the Lord. I saw the Lord. Oswald Chambers wrote this. The call of God is not the echo of my nature, but expressive of God's nature. The call of God does not consider my affinities or personality. It is a call that I cannot hear as long as I consider my personality or temperament. Amen. 
But immediately I am brought into the condition Isaiah uh, was in. I am in a relationship to God whereby I can hear his call. The presence of God changes everything. The presence of God puts everything, and by everything I mean everything, into perspective. Isaiah standing in the presence of the Lord, and I doubt very much that he wanted to leave. Because who doesn't want to be in an awesome place like that? Standing in the presence of God. Jesus goes up onto the mountain to be transfigured. And the disciples that went with him, after being in the presence of God, what was their response? Hey, let's just build some tents. We're going to stay here. We don't want to go back down there. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've still got work for you to do. And you'll get to experience this fully one day. But right now I'm sending you. Sending always starts in the presence of God. Why? Because it's in his presence that we see his nature and his character. And if I'm not sent with his presence, with his nature, with his character, I'm going to bring something that people don't need. It always starts in his presence because his nature, his character, who he is, is what needs to go with me when I'm sent. Sending always starts in the presence of God. Second is this. Sending is a sign of surrender to God. Going, just going on your own, could be prideful. Hey, I'm, I'm going to go do this thing for God. Hey, God, just let me, I'm going to fill in the blank for you. I know I'm supposed to be doing something, right? Because you're supposed to do something. God, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. You know that Jesus says that, that, that when we come to the judgment seat, that there's going to be people who are like, God, don't you know that I did this for you, and I did this for you, and I did this for you, and I cast out demons, and I prophesied, and I pastored a church, and I went on mission trips, and, and I was a part of the children's ministry, and I set up chairs for, for years and years. I was a part of the setup team. God, I did that for you. And God's response would be, away from me. I never knew you. Because there's a difference to just doing things for God, thinking, wow, this is a good idea, versus being sent, because sent always requires surrender. God, what are you calling me to? Surrender of who I am, my pride, my sin, my life, those things backing up to the breaking prayer. God, break me so you can send me. I need to be surrendered to you. Isaiah says this, woe is me. I am lost. I got nothing. You are awesome and I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing, Lord. In fact, I'm sinful. I have unclean lips and even the people around me. Have unclean lips in comparison to your awesomeness. I've got nothing. Nothing. God, just just take me. Then the angel comes and he removes the coal from the altar. And he comes and he touches it to Isaiah's lips. And he says, you've been made whole. You've been cleansed. The picture, of course, here is Jesus. The touch of Christ in our lives where his his touch in your life, his sacrifice uh, on, on, the, on the cross at Calvary 
brings atonement for our sin. He makes us whole and he completely changes our lives. But we don't come to that place unless we come to a point of surrender. And God says, I can't send you if you are not first surrendered. So send me God is only a prayer you can pray when your heart has been surrendered to him, when your life is surrendered to him, when you realize that you don't belong to you. You don't belong to you. You belong to him. And we have a hard time with that, don't we? We have a hard time with that. No, it's my life. It's my life. It's what I want to do. It's how I want to live. It's the choices I want to make. God says, no, 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 no. I have something better for you, but you need to surrender. Third thing is this. Sending happens when we hear God's call. Sending happens when we hear God's call. For Isaiah, it happened this way. I heard the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? You can't go, you can't be sent if you don't hear from God first. And it doesn't matter if that's around the world or across the street. It doesn't matter if that's around the world or across the street. Now, I believe that God calls every one of us every day to go. That he sends us every day. That there's not a day goes by that God's going, I'm sending you to that person. I'm sending you to that neighbor. I'm sending you to that coworker. But we're not listening. We're not hearing the call. Or maybe we hear it and don't do anything about it. Lord, I don't know. No, what will they think of me? Lord, that's uncomfortable. We can't be sent unless we hear God's call. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 13. One of my favorite stories in Scripture Acts chapter 13. The story here, the, the account here is in the church in Antioch. There was the first Gentile church. It was the first church established outside of Jerusalem um, by a group of people who just loved God. Had been cha- their lives had been changed, and they realized other people need this. And so this group of believers from all over the place, Gentile believers, came together, and they just started a church. The council in Jerusalem hears about this church, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. They started a church? Did, did you sign? Peter? Did you say it was John? Did you sign off on that? No, and they were looking around the room. It was none of us. So they pick Barnabas, and they send Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas, go check out this church. Figure out what's going on. Well, he gets there, and he realizes this thing is for real. It's the real deal, that these people love the Lord he legitimizes it. He's like, he gives it the blessing. He says, this is, this is what needs to be happening. It's in line with God's heart. Um, and, and there's good things. There's good ministry happening. They're preaching the word of God. He doesn't go back to Jerusalem, though. He leaves then and goes to Tarsus, and he finds this guy named Saul, who had had this amazing conversion experience. And in the midst of his conversion, he had heard the voice of God say, Saul... I'm calling you to be my mouthpiece, to be my instrument that I'm going to send to the Gentiles. You're the guy I'm choosing. I'm picking you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Now, you're going to remember this happened 13 years before this moment in time. 
13 years had passed. Barnabas and Saul were good friends. Barnabas, in fact, had been the guy who stood up for Saul, and he said, hey, this guy who used to persecute, persecute Christians, excuse me, is actually a good guy now. We, you know what? The Lord has, has saved him, and there's a call on his life, and so they welcome him in, and then his life is threatened. They send him away. It's all in the book of Acts. It's a great story. Check it out. Barnabas goes to Tarsus, he finds Saul, and he brings him back to Antioch, and it says that for, for quite an extended period of time, about a year or so, that they're in, in, Tar- in Antioch, rather, ministering, and they're building up the church. I love that Barnabas, by the way, isn't so concerned about the call on his life. He remembers the call on Paul's life, Saul at the time, and he goes, wait a minute, I need to go get Saul. He's supposed to be here because these guys are Gentiles. And I remember Saul told me, when he was telling me about his conversion, he told me that God said to him, hey, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. He needs to be here. So he goes and he finds his friends. We all need friends like Barnabas, by the way. And maybe you need to be a friend like Barnabas, calling that, that gifting out. So anyway, he gets, he gets Saul, brings him back. And they have incredible ministry. But then here in Acts chapter 13, really cool thing happens. Acts chapter 13 and verse 1 says this. There were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And sent them off. You know what I love about this passage? Is that they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit together. They heard the voice of the Holy Spirit together. It wasn't this, this kind of, hey, I heard from God, he spoke to me, and, uh, and I'm just going to tell you what God spoke to me, and, and hopefully if you think it's a good idea, that's great, and if you don't, well, that's fine as well, I'm going to do it anyway. But because of their posturing, remember, they were worshiping and fasting, which means they were praying, they were in a place of prayer. When the Holy Spirit sp- spoke, they all heard the same thing. It didn't say the Holy Spirit spoke to Simeon or he spoke to Lucian. No, he spoke to them all and they all heard the voice of the Lord saying, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And so what did they do? They continued praying and fasting. And then when the moment was right, they laid hands on them and they sent them off on the first missionary journey. And they went and preached the gospel. And really, the rest of the New Testament flows right out of what happened in that moment. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, to the work that I've called them. Sending happens when we hear God's call. When we hear God's call. So now it starts shifting from... God, do this work in me. Search me, break me. But God, as I start hearing your voice, would you allow me to hear my, your voice with other people? I want to be in proximity and live my life so connected to other believers 
and be so much in relationship and fellowship and sharing life together that when God speaks, that there's be multiple people who hear the same thing. So when someone stands up and says, I feel like God's calling me to go and fill in the blank, that there are multiple people who are going, I heard the same thing. I, I was praying for you, and the Lord gave me a vision. The Lord gave me a word. He spoke to me about you. How awesome would that be? Sending happens when we hear God's call. And it's a fact. You cannot hear if you're not listening. You can't hear if you're not listening, if you're not spending time in prayer. If you're not praying those prayers, search me and break me. And even send me. I've met people in my life and in my ministry going, why won't God use my life? I've asked him, well, I, I believe God's speaking to you. You're just not listening. When God speaks, I'm like, no, not that. No, not. He's not, by the way, God's not a magic eight ball. <laughs> nah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Number four is this. Sending requires a response. Sending requires a response. Isaiah, love his response. Right? voice of God, whom can I send? Who will go for us? By the way, you see the Trinity there? Whom can I send? Who will go for us? <laughs> and Isaiah, jumping up and down, here I am, send me, right? It's like the kid on the playground, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, I'll do it. Because he'd had this encounter with the presence of God that had so radically changed his life. So when God said, hey, I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for a willing heart, a surrendered heart. Isaiah's like, it's me. I'll go. When you read it, that passage in the Hebrew, the way that it's written, you can see there's an exclamation mark there in the passage in, in, in the English, right? Send me. And it's like, come on. But the way that the Hebrew is written, he couldn't have been more emphatic. Isaiah was so excited. Send me, God. I'm ready. Put me in the game. Come on, coach. Put me in the game. I can do this. I got this. Requires a response. That's the response, by the way, that God prefers. But it's not always the response he gets. And by the way, no response is a response. Right? No response is a response. I'm calling you go there. <laughs> Do you hear something? I didn't hear anything. That's a response. It doesn't always go that way. Moses said, here am I, send someone else. Here am I, send someone else. Because you got the wrong guy. I know... I stutter, and, you know, it's Egypt, and the last time I was there, I killed a guy, and <laughs> here I am. In fact, he had the other guy picked out. He's like, hey, my, my, my brother, um, Aaron, he's a good guy. Let me help you out a little. Now, you know, God is gracious, and he actually, he's like, fine, I'll send, but I'm not letting you off the hook. Here am I, send someone else. Gideon, 
here am I, but I'm not good enough. Here am I, I'm not good enough. Or who? Me? No, Lord, there's got to be someone else. How about Jonah? Here am I, I'm not going. Here am I, I'm going the opposite direction. And it just gets worse with him too, doesn't it? He finally goes, he preaches, they repent, and then he's angry. Really, God? I was looking for like the lightning show. It was going to be awesome. I was going to... No, and they repent. Here am I. I'm not going. What's your response? Here am I. I'm busy. Here am I. I've got children to raise. Maybe in a few years. Here am I. My finances are a mess. Here am I. I've just been hurt by the church and I just want to just take it easy for a while. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. What's your response? Because God is sending. We already established that. He's still ascending God. He's not ascending God, which means he's, he's calling to you. He's wanting to send you. What's your response? Sending requires a response. And by the way, you're not let off the hook if you just don't pray the prayer. If I just don't, don't pray, send me, God, then I'm good. No, because Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So sending is already a part of your design. But what he's looking for is the surrender part. He wants the surrender part. And last is this. Sending will align with your gifts. Sending will align with your gifts. Why on earth would God send you to do something that you're not passionate about? Some of that fear that I talked about, God, if, if I ask you to send me, you're going to send me to a place that is uncomfortable. That's, I think that's why people pick Africa, pick on Africa, right? You might send me to Africa. And they have this mental image of what Africa is. By the way, Andrew was sent from Africa as well. This fear starts creeping in. Why on earth would God send you somewhere to do something that you're not passionate about and that you don't love? God's not going to inflict you on people. Let that settle for a second. He is not going to inflict you on people. He wants you to be the one who represents his agape love. He's not going to send you to a people or to a place or across the street if you're going to be a jerk about it. <laughs> listen, Matthew, I don't really want to be here, but listen, God loves you. Please don't. <laughs> I, I, had, I had lunch with a guy once. It was a guy, there was some broken relationship, and, and he had called me up and he said, let's have lunch. And I was like, yes, reconciliation, God's going to win. Sat across the table, and the first thing out of his mouth, he didn't even wait till lunch was over. First thing out of his mouth, listen, I don't really want to be here, but God told me I had to have lunch with you. I'm like, I hope you're paying. 
And we left worse than we arrived. At least he did. And I didn't feel loved in that. Why would God send you somewhere if you don't have a passion and a love and ability and a gifting and a calling in that area? Right? And we get all like worked up about it. If I say God send me, he's going to make me work with kids. And I don't have a passion for kids. God loves our kids enough that he's not going to call you to work with kids if you don't love kids. But by the way, none of us get off the hook that easy. I think everyone needs to love kids. People are like, I don't love children. They probably don't love you either. And if I remember correctly, Jesus really loved kids. God, I don't want to do that. But right on the heels of that, I really believe that many of us don't know what we're passionate about. So it's this unfounded fear. God, you're going to call me to do something I don't like. And God's like, well, you don't even know what you like. Right? Anyone love Brussels sprouts? I love Brussels sprouts. When I was a kid, I hated Brussels sprouts. I never even tried. I hated them. And now I'm like, hey, these are good. This is good stuff. We get this idea in our head that like, oh, no, that, not that. And God's like, have you tried it? No, but I heard... Someone else told me, it's one of the reasons I love going on mission trips with people. I love taking people to Africa. And they get all nervous on the plane, and they do all the research, and they go on the CDC website. Worst thing you can do, right? You got to get these shots, and oh, it's going to... And they get all nervous flying into Nairobi, where I've taken teams. Can I tell you, when they get on the plane ready to come home, they don't want to go. And people are already going, when can we come back? I didn't realize I had a heart for these people. I didn't realize that God had given me this passion. I had no idea. For many of us, we walk our entire Christian existence because it's not a life, it's an existence. If all you ever do is show up at church, get a little bit of feeding, and then go home and just do your thing. That's just existing. God's called us to thrive, to live, to serve, to go. When can I go back? I didn't realize I had a passion for this. So much so that people will do radical things like sell their houses and their stuff to follow the Lord's call and be obedient to go somewhere else. Now, he might not call you to do that, yet. But I guarantee you this. He's going to send you to your neighbor. You know why? Because he loves your neighbor. He's going to send you to your workplace and to your co-workers. But Pastor Barry, you don't understand. We have these policies in place and there's these rules. Okay, we're talking about God. And he's bigger. Now, we need to honor, and I get that. But don't deny the ability and the power of God to break through the rules and the regulations that man has established so that his love can be evidenced in people's lives. You work in a tough place, God put you there for a reason. God, send me. Some of you 
God's sending you to your family. For some of you, you need to come home a little bit because you've been going all of these other places. Hey, God, I'm going to go minister over here. I'm going to go minister over there. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've got a wife and kids. You've got a husband and kids. You've got a family that needs you first. Before you can go there, you need to start here. Sending will align with your gifts and with your ability and with your calling. And can I tell you, as you start uncovering what that is, and you get more and more passionate and excited about things, God's like, that's great, because I'm unlocking your potential. I'm unlocking the things that I placed in you. Yeah, yeah that, that love for whatever, I put that there. That was my idea. Now let's go. I made this statement earlier as we close this morning. As long as there are people to reach, God will continue sending. In fact, I know this. Scripture is clear about this. When everyone's heard, what's going to happen? She's going to come back. And then Jesus will be sent again and will go home. And the work will be accomplished. But that hasn't happened, which means we've still got work to do. Which means that God is still sending Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you have a heart for the lost? Because he does. I know that because you're sitting here today. He has a heart for your neighbors. He has a heart for this city. He has a heart for this school. And we get to partner with him. The prayer that says, God, send me, God's already asking, who will go? Just like he asked Isaiah, who will go? I'm looking, eyes of the Lord, scanning, looking back and forth across the earth, looking for hearts that are surrendered to him, fully committed to him, so that he can touch those hearts and say, you go there. You speak to that person. You do this thing. You move in that way. Be my hands, be my feet. Let's stand together. This is a prayer of availability. Now, I already said this. It doesn't matter whether or not you pray the prayer, because God's already calling. But at the same time, he wants you to pray the prayer because of what it does to you and what it speaks to you. This is a prayer of availability. We're going to move back into a time of worship. We're going to sing the song, Our Father, which is, it's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer as a way to teach the disciples and there's some things in the Lord's prayer that he explains but one of the things that he states in that prayer is this your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven God make the reality of who you are in your presence a reality here and now Isaiah saw the throne room he saw the angels he saw the glory you know who the world gets to see they get to see you 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my life and in your lives so that the kingdom of heaven can be shown to those around us. As we sing this song, as we continue to worship this morning, would you do some business between you and the Lord? Maybe you've prayed those prayers, search me and break me. And don't just jump in to send me. Don't, don't, don't rush it. Would you stand this morning in the presence of God and let him do something to you? Would you quiet your heart and would you listen to what he wants to say? We have life groups on Tuesday. Why? Just for another reason for us to get together? No, because you know what? In life groups, we get to hear from the Lord together and we get to affirm like the apostles did, like the, the leaders did in Antioch. Setting time aside, join a life group, be a part of that so that the Lord can continue to confirm what he wants to do. I'm going to ask you, we'll go to, to worship. In fact, the worship team, you guys can come up. This morning, before you leave, it's a bold step. It's a bold step. But before you leave, our ushers will come up during the last song to receive the offering. But would you grab a connect card? There should be one lying around you. You should have already filled out your information. But if you feel like there's an area that God's already speaking to you, that you, you feel like God's sending you, maybe it's something you've never even shared with anyone before. But if you would be so bold as to just write what that is, on that card and then place it in the offering this morning. Because here's what I want to do. I want to commit to you as your pastor to pray for you. And I believe that when we take that step of faith, when we respond like Isaiah did, that something of the hold of the enemy is broken. That the fear is broken. And we can be released into those things that God has called us to. So Father, this morning... Thank you for your call. Thank, thank you, God, that you are ascending God. Thank you, Jesus, that you were sent to us. That you came to, 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 to reach and save the lost. And, Lord, that we get to be counted as a part of that. But now, Lord, would you use our lives? You're calling us to be a church that goes. Goes across the aisle. Goes across the street. Goes across the city and goes across the world. Cause us to be a people who are ready to go.